Friends, we are marching our way right through the book of Acts. Uh, how about that acting job done by Dacia Smith? Can we just give it up? That was amazing, all those parts. My goodness, you saved me a lot of time, so that'll, that'll be helpful. Um, when I started in the book of Acts, uh, in this series, I, you know, it kind of subdivides into three sections. So we've already been through the first section. That was Acts 1 through 12, uh, which I called the birth of the church. And last week, we actually started the second subsection of this series called the Church on Mission. And last week, you heard Pastor Felipe Chami talk about the prayer meeting that changed the world, how the multicultural leadership team at the Church of Antioch uh, sent out Paul and Barnabas on mission. So we've been in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but now it's here in Acts 13, 14, where we really see the gospel start taking off to the ends of the earth. And I invite you to turn with me uh, to Acts 13 and 14. Um, and these taken together, these two chapters, are what people often refer to as Paul's first missionary journey. Um, but let's not leave out Barnabas, because uh, Barnabas was with him the entire time. This is Paul and Barnabas' first trip. And it says in Acts 13, verse 4, The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and John was with them as their helper. John, this is, this is the John that's also referred to as Mark, John Mark, who is Barnabas's cousin, um, and he came along with them at the beginning of this trip. And isn't this exciting? Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, they're, they're going on their first missions trip. Yes. Anybody here been on a missions trip before anywhere in the world? Just out of curiosity. Okay, a good number of you. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, I mean, you get to meet new people, go to a new place, new language, new food, new culture. I mean, it can be very exciting, right? And, uh, and these friends here, they are going to Cyprus. Um, and I think they must have been very excited to go to such a beautiful place. Uh, scholar William Barclay says Cyprus was called the Happy Isle because it was held that its climate was so perfect and its resources so varied that it was possible to find everything necessary for a happy life there. You know, when I was in college, uh, I was fortunate enough to do an internship at a local church in Hawaii. It was um, as amazing as it sounds. And when I told people that I was going there for the summer, uh, I was subjected to everyone telling me the exact same joke for hundreds of times. And everyone said to me, oh, so you're really going to be suffering for Jesus this summer, aren't you? I heard that joke over and over again uh, for months leading up to that trip. Uh, and it started making me question, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. You know, this, maybe it's not right that I go to Hawaii and, you know, have this internship. Because I think, you know, you know how jokes always almost have some element of truth to them, right? Like, we know deep down that Christian mission shouldn't look like me sitting on the beach sipping a margarita with one of those umbrella straws, right? That's not what Christian mission looks like. And so we know this deep down that true mission for Jesus involves suffering. It must involve suffering. And so today I want to explore the theme of the suffering and joy of God's mission. And we will see our friends in Acts experience both as they embark on this adventure. And towards the end of chapter 14, which Dan Dobler read for us, uh, they returned to a few of the churches that they visited in the first part of the trip. 
Now, if you flip over to chapter 14, verse 21, it says, Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And they tell them, We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I find that fascinating because Luke is very selective. He doesn't tell them the whole sermon. He doesn't tell them the whole content of the teaching. He just summarizes what they told them. And he summarizes it by saying, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom. Isn't that interesting? And I imagine that when, they, when Paul and Barnabas first came to these churches, you know, they laid the foundation. Here's the gospel. Here's Jesus and the Holy Spirit and baptism and repentance. Here are all the fundamental truths you need to know. And then the, the second layer, the, the next thing you need to know when we come back is we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Has the church taught you that, friends? Have you heard that? Let's break this down. This might be, seem a little simplistic, but let's break this down. It says, we must. Hardships are a necessary part of our entrance into the kingdom of God. It is not optional. It's like a test that we must overcome. And it's, when we experience suffering, it says in verse 21 that we must remain true to the faith. And then it says we must go through. There is no way around suffering. There is no way of avoiding it. The only way to get through it is to go through it. We can't avoid it. We go through it. And there's also a word in this sentence that I really, really don't like very much. And that is the word many. In the Greek, it means a lot. Or it can also point to variety. There will be numerous sufferings we must go through. And there will be a variety of sufferings and hardships that we will go through as we follow the narrow way of Jesus Christ. So here is a fundamental truth that we need to get deep down into the core of our thinking about our lives, about our relationship with Jesus, about the church, about the kingdom, and here it is. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Is that core to your thinking? This is what Paul and Barnabas wanted to reiterate to the churches. So there, there's my sermon in a sentence, but brothers and sisters, I also don't want to leave you in total despair because the way of Christ is not just suffering, it is also joy. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Suffering and joy. These two are interrelated and interconnected and part of the Christian life. And the irony is, it is often when we embrace the suffering of following Jesus, it's there that we will find joy, true joy, the joy of following him. And there's three different themes that I want to tease out of this text for us this morning. And the first is this, the joy and suffering of community. The joy and suffering of community. I'll be somewhat brief on this because we heard uh, Pastor Felipe touch on this a little bit last week. Uh, but there is this wonderful community at the church in Antioch. Uh, they, they had many teachers and prophets and leaders. They had a, a multicultural leadership team. They worshiped together. They fasted together. And in a very hostile world, they were a minority. And so they were each other's support system. They were each other's family. Remember, they shared their resources. They shared their homes. They shared everything with one another. And then they heard those words from the Lord, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. Set them apart. To set them apart means to separate them off from the church. 
to separate them out from the work that was going on in Antioch and to say goodbye. You know, it's a joy that they had to share in this community at Antioch, but it's kind of a suffering to part ways. You know, and this is how many of us, uh, especially my family, felt as we said goodbye to the Ramoses last week. The joy of life that we shared together, the suffering of parting ways. All throughout the Christian life, God might say to people you dearly love, or perhaps even to yourself, I'm calling you aside. I'm calling you apart. I'm sending you out for a new work to which I have called you. It's a joy, but it's also a hardship. I believe community in Christ, you guys know me, you guys know I love community. I think it's one of the best things about being the church. Uh, It also can be one of the things that causes the most suffering. Uh, You know, Paul, partway through this missions trip, there's a detail in here uh, where John Mark decides to go back home. In Acts 13, verse 13, it says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, Luke gives us no other comment about this right now, but we know from two chapters later in Acts 15, this is something that deeply disturbed the Apostle Paul. It deeply hurt him that John Mark left them. I mean, they were on this mission trip that was putting them in so much danger all over the place, and there was only three of them, it looks like, on this trip, and then John Mark just partway through decides to go home. I imagine Paul felt deserted, felt like we have no other help. Why are you leaving us in our time of most need? In fact, in Acts 15, when Paul wants to revisit the churches, He tells Barnabas, hey, let's go back to revisit those churches. And Barnabas wants to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. You know, the great joy of the mission team that was commissioned in our text last week Just a year and a half later, they are torn apart by a sharp disagreement that arose among them. It's sad to say that they could not come to unity. They could not find a way to make this work. Paul did not trust John Mark anymore, and Barnabas wanted to give him a second chance. And those two positions could not be reconciled at that time. And unfortunately, some of the suffering that we will experience of following Jesus is caused by rifts with our fellow believers. It's just a fact of our broken existence. It can be deeply upsetting. It's something that grieves me when I see it happen in in our church or in my life. And I really wish Paul and Barnabas could have found a compromise here. I wish they could have found a way to make this work. And I guess if we commend them for one thing, one thing they do well is they, they don't let this distract the ultimate mission. They both go off to their separate mission trips. Um, and we don't know how long that this rift between them lasted. But it's interesting, by the time that Paul writes the book of Colossians, they are somehow joyfully reconciled. Listen to what Paul writes in Colossians 4. Listen to this. My fellow prisoner, Ericus Darkus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort for me. By the grace of Jesus Christ, 
Reconciliation is always possible in the kingdom of God. Perhaps the relationship seemed utterly hopeless in Acts chapter 15, but God turns it all around. And Paul says, welcome Mark. The guy who deserted him. The guy who left him when he needed him the most. Welcome him. Sometimes the, the person who maybe wasn't there for you when you needed them the most, that might be the person that one day you'll be telling others to welcome in the name of Jesus. The person who caused me so much pain and grief, that could be the person in the future that the Lord uses to comfort me. The person that I thought I could never possibly work with again, that could be the person that I eventually one day called a co-worker with me in the kingdom of God. There can be the suffering of disputes, friends, but in Jesus Christ, there is always the possibility of joyful reconciliation. Paul says Mark is a co-worker with him now. Wow. And we believe in this power of reconciliation, and that's why we pray every week, Oh, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. We forgive them every week in Jesus' name. And I want you to remember that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that we should leave our gift at the altar to go be reconciled. It's a short way of saying God wants our reconciliation more than he wants our worship. Whoa. So Paul and Barnabas and John Mark eventually, praise be to God, they figure it out. They are reconciled in Christ. And I believe perhaps that their relationship was even stronger for having gone through that disagreement and now they're joyfully reconciled. The joy and suffering of community, friends, it's not easy, but it's always worth it. Joy and suffering of community. The second theme I want to tease out here today is the joy and suffering of responses to the gospel. Responses to the gospel. Now, I don't have time to go into all the details, but thankfully, Wendy and Dacia gave us all of them. Uh, so we'll save some time here this morning. Uh, but we see people responding, don't we, in many different ways. Uh, on Cyprus, they encounter spiritual warfare. They meet a, a false prophet and a sorcerer uh, who are opposed to the kingdom of Jesus. Um, and then it says the proconsul of Cyprus, he witnesses Paul do this miracle and he believes. You know, they learn pretty quickly that Cyprus is not just paradise. That there is spiritual warfare going on on this beautiful island. And that's true everywhere we go. Charles Spurgeon says, Consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. There's a spiritual war going on for the souls of people. Satan trying to blind people from the truth, but the Lord is trying to draw people to himself. And we are caught up in this. And so everywhere we go is this spiritual war zone. And so we're praying and we're hoping that we can help rescue people, as it says in Colossians, rescue them from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of the Son God loves. And so we hope and pray we get to see the joy of people responding to the good news of Jesus. But we also need to arm ourselves with the expectation that this message will arouse opposition as well. And usually, the disciples experience both at the same time. In Acts 13, verse 48 
It says, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. The gospel's spreading. We're making progress. We're making a difference. And then in verse 50, the very next verse, but the Jewish leaders, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from that region. And what do they do? Verse 51, they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and they went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? They experienced this intense suffering and they have to leave where all these people were joyfully responding and God fills them with the Spirit and with joy. Now, I'm kind of making for you today this, this dichotomy between suffering and joy, but I, I don't want you to see them as totally separate because often God uses the suffering to produce joy in his people. And so they're not necessarily these two opposite things. They are interconnected at times. And this is what Jesus promised, that when we suffer, especially for his name, says, blessed are you when people persecute you and they assault you and they say all kinds of things about you because of my name. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. And they go to Iconium where the same things happen. In chapter 14, they go to the Jewish synagogue, they speak so effectively, a great number believe. And then in verse 5, they learn that there is a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews to mistreat them and stone them. Now, I want you to imagine, especially those of you who have been on one of your own missions trips or you've been in some foreign place and you're in some place that you don't know and you learn that your presence has caused such a commotion that the people there want to kill you. What do you do? Well, Paul and Barnes do what any of us would probably do. They try to get out of there. They flee. You know, but if I were them, I'd be like, you know what? It's time to go back home. I want to go back to the church at Antioch. I want my living room. I want my comfort. What do Paul and Barnabas do? They get out of there, but they don't stop the mission. They go on. They go to Lystra and Derby, but there they are hunted down and Paul is nearly killed by the stoning, but then he gets back up and goes back into the city. See, even in their suffering, Paul was not deterred because he had experienced the joy that comes with embracing the suffering that comes with following Jesus. He embraced it. He faced it. And, as, and because of that, he experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit with a profound joy. So we experience this tension, the suffering and joy of responses to the gospel. And finally, we also experience the joy and suffering of ministry. The joy and suffering of ministry. In chapter 14, verse 26, from Italia they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. So they've returned from their trip. Uh, some people say it's about maybe about a year and a half that this first missionary journey lasted. Um, and they come back to the church in Antioch where it all began. And they've been busy. They've been traveling, they've been teaching, they've been preaching, they've been sharing the gospel, they've been speaking in synagogues. And in verse 22, it says they strengthened the disciples, they encouraged them. Verse 23, they appointed elders. And then it says in verse 26, they completed the work for which they were sent. Notice that they call it work. It's a word that means toil, means working. 
It involves expenditure of energy. Serving God involves expending our energy for him. Expending our strength. Expending our time, our resources. And oh, what a joy it says. They completed the work for which they had been sent. Don't we want that to be true of our lives? That we complete the work that God has for us. You know, and when missionaries come to the church, usually, uh, they do what Paul and Barnabas do, right? They, they appropriately share, uh, here's all that God is doing. Here's all the amazing things that happen. Here's how the gospel is spreading. God is opening doors. He is moving. And it's all about the Lord, and it's amazing. But oftentimes, we don't get to hear the hardships that our brothers and sisters face. The harsh realities of mission. You know, when people ask me about that mission trip in Hawaii, I almost always reported all the amazing things because there were so many amazing things. I saw flowing lava. I got to night dive with, with fish and a flashlight and sharks and puffer kinds of amazing things. I saw a sea turtle. It was incredible. But I don't usually tell people that I was actually taken advantage of financially when I was there. <laughs> I was by the people I was staying with. It's, uh, the, it's, the story is too long to get into the details. But I actually had to get a second job when I was there. I was supposed to be there for ministry. I ended up having to work on a farm for full time for several weeks in order to pay back this, this family that was taking advantage of me. And then I had a near-death experience. I was swimming in the ocean. And friends, I kid you not, the waves were so powerful. And I, I was trying surfing for the first time. And the, the board hit me in the head. I thought I was going to be knocked out. I thought I was going to die. I could barely get out of there. By the grace of God, I believe I'm alive. There were times that there were deep conflicts in the youth ministry at that church. I felt ostracized at times by the people I was working with. It was Hawaii. But it was not rainbows and butterflies, friends. There was a lot of hardship, uh, even in that brief summer. And Paul normally tells all the good things, but we get a glimpse of the bad things in 2 Corinthians. And he even references this stoning. He says, Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, from bandits, from fellow Jews, from Gentiles. I've been in danger in the city and in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. God's work, it is full of joy, but it is also full of suffering. People need discipled. People need encouraged. Leaders need to be appointed. People must be taught the word of God. The gospel must be shared. But it is work. It is toil. It's often very difficult and demanding. But, oh, friend, it's also joy. It's also joy. Because it is what we were made to do. It's what we are gifted to do. It's what we are called to do. It's what we were made for. And I hope that you will do what the, this missionary team did. That you will complete the assignment for which the Lord has given you. So, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Sending people out. Working through disagreements. People criticizing, complaining, rejecting us, persecuting us, slandering us, and even opposing us. And serving God involves expending our energy and strength. How do we 
face such difficulties? How do we face such hardships? Well, friends, we need to remember that we are called to the way of the cross, which is actually the way of life. C.K. Barrett says, Luke makes it clear that the road his heroes were traveling was the way of the cross. And I like what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Join with me in suffering. Embrace suffering like a soldier would in a war. Now, to clarify, I believe that these references in Scripture, these are really aimed at the suffering that comes with following Jesus and serving Jesus. We're not talking specifically, I believe, about tragedy or global tragedies. We have books called Lamentations and the Psalms to help us get through those situations. But I believe Paul is talking about embracing the suffering that comes with serving in the army of the Lord, if you will, as a soldier of Jesus Christ. The suffering that comes with the job. I mean, can you imagine a soldier surprised by suffering? I mean, I just kind of picture two guys in a, in a foxhole, and the one guy's out, Sarge, what's all that noise? They're shooting at us. What do you mean they're shooting at us? I didn't expect this. What are you talking about? We are in a war. Of course they're shooting at us. Of course there's opposition. Of course there's going to be hardship. What do you think boot camp was for? Can't be surprised by suffering. No, a soldier embraces suffering. They know it's going to happen. They know what they're signing up for, and they do it because they believe in the cause for which they are fighting, and they want to please the commanding officer. Don't we believe in the cause of Jesus Christ? Amen. Let me ask you that again. Do you believe in the cause of Jesus Christ? We do. It involves suffering. It involves opposition. It will be difficult. So we should not be surprised when it comes. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him de deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me will save it. The call is to come and die to ourselves. You know, unfortunately, I think everything in our modern life is designed to help us avoid as much suffering as possible, to make everything as easy as we possibly can. And I think this makes many of us in America, especially American churches, we are ill-prepared for suffering. We want convenient discipleship, not costly. We want con convenient community, where it's easy to get along with everyone who thinks like, like us. Not community that's formed over time that requires reconciliation. We want convenient worship that fits my style, my time frame, my culture. We come to be served rather than to serve at times. We want God to answer our prayers without much praying. We want someone, hopefully just to accept Christ, without us saying anything. We want a convenient sermon that doesn't challenge me too much, but just makes me feel a little bit better going into the week. Bottom line, we often want convenient church, not costly. We want the resurrection without the cross. But friends, there's no resurrection without the cross. There's no life without dying to ourselves. So I, I want you to get it deep inside you. 
we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Reject the idea that your life's purpose is to give yourself as much ease as you can and arm yourself with the mentality that like Christ, you will suffer. It will come. I will be rejected. It will be hard. I will have to die to myself again and again and again. But just like Jesus, it's for the joy set before us that we pick up our individual crosses. It's for the joy of our salvation. It's for the joy of pleasing God. It's for the joy of loving others in community. It's for the joy of finding life, for the joy of seeing people born again, for the joy of completing our earthly assignment. We embrace the cross. We embrace the suffering of the kingdom. And when we do, it's there we will find life.